excited. We were talking about worship this morning, so why not have someone who has literally led tens of thousands of people in worship actually teach? So, will you put your hands together and welcome the one and only Eric Maitland as he comes up here to share with us. <laughs> We've got some special music for you. Oh, okay. Man, finally, finally get the chance to preach at Mercy Road. I can't believe Josh gave me the Super Bowl Sunday slot. It is sought after. If you're a speaker for churches, this is the one you want to be at. Great to be with you guys this morning. My name is Eric. I'm the worship pastor and I believe the outreach pastor at this church. We're working on my new title. It's, it's kind of tricky right now, but great to be with you guys. I love the DIY series that we've been doing, this idea of taking huge lofty, ancient concepts like prayer and fasting and worship and breaking it down into just something totally practical and applicable in your everyday life. And so we're doing DIY worship today. Jason Yeager, good to see you. They gave me a microphone. I get to keep talking. I don't even have to wear a guitar today. This is so new for me. DIY worship. Why do we need to talk about do-it-yourself worship? Isn't worship something we do when we come together like this every week? Well, what I want to share with you today is the secret to powerful worship is worship in secret. And I'm going to say that a couple times today. But the secret to powerful worship is worship in secret. And our worship experience corporately will always reflect our private worship as individuals when we come together. So what does your private worship look like? What experiences with God are you bringing into this gathering each week when we come together? I want to make a disclaimer um, that we're not going to cover everything about worship uh, this week, obviously, in this amount of time. We're not going to talk much about styles and methods. We're not going to talk about organ versus, you know, Aaron Pelsey rock band, you know, liturgy versus having all these, you know, videos and stuff. There's a lot of different methods you can use for worship. Um, and I know that a lot of times in America, our worship in an encounter like this can look like a, a rock concert. And that's not our heart. That's not what worship is. So what is it? Today, we're going to talk about the what, the why, and the how of worship. I think we have a slide for that, because I was supposed to make sure that I'm doing that right. Do we have one? Great. Okay, the what. We're going to start with what worship is. And if you don't know why I'm an authority on this topic, I happen to have a vast collection of Hillsong records. I know like several of the deep cuts on all those albums. I have at least five V-necks now after leading worship at this church, right? I do have a Christian tattoo. It's on my back, so you can only see it when I'm swimming. Um, I was a camp counselor at the same camp that Josh worked at in college, and you can't have tattoos, it was a Christian camp, so they made me put duct tape on it, so I had like a, it's a cross, I had a duct tape cross on my back, and I had all these eight-year-olds that I was counseling, Lord help them, that week, and they're all like, why do you have a duct tape cross on your back? And I'm like, well, you know, I figured we're out here in the sun swimming a lot, I'll get this tan that will look like a cross, and that bring glory to God kind of thing. And so the next day, like, all 12 of them all had duct tape on their backs, <laughs> And we went swimming, but so I am an authority on this subject, right? Yeah. How are you guys doing today? Are you excited to be talking about this? Is worship something we're passionate about here? I hope so. It's a core value of this church, and um, I promise you that your entire journey with God can radically change when you develop a lifestyle of worship. And so I'm really excited to dive into this uh, today. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we love you, your Lord. And we ask today that you change our hearts, that you teach us something new. I pray that our worship experience will never be the same, Jesus, as you teach us how to live a lifestyle of worship like you did. Amen. 
So a little bit of my story, some of you have heard it before, some of you haven't. Um, I, um, I made a, I guess, a salvation prayer when I was in junior high. I prayed a salvation prayer at a, at a camp, and I really meant it. I believed that Jesus was my Savior that day. But it wasn't until I was a junior at Indiana University in a fraternity, and, um, and that's where I made what I would call a repentance moment. I had this moment where my whole life changed. Something happened. And what had happened was I was... I was starting to um, get discipled by Andy Dalton, who might be here. I'm not sure if he's here today yet. Um, Andy Dalton started discipling me, teaching me the, the word, and I, I eventually decided to go to this retreat. And there was this cute girl that I liked, and so I went to this retreat, and I had a God encounter that actually totally just changed my heart, totally changed my heart. We had a lot of time of worship and prayer that week. It was kind of new to me to do that. And I came back, and I stopped dating for four years, I stopped getting drunk. Um, a lot of things changed in my life. And my fraternity brothers saw it. And there were about 80 of us living in the house at the time. It was Acacia at IU. Love my fraternity. Those guys are some of my best friends to this day. Chris Lambert, who started Life Remodeled, came to the Lord through our Bible study. We called it free beer some weeks to help the attendance out. Our fraternity was known more for marijuana and drinking and stuff like that than it was for, um, than it was for God, obviously. After about a year and a half, two years... We had sororities that were pairing with us for Little Five. They didn't know if they wanted to pair with us because they thought we'd become a Christian fraternity. Almost 10% of the guys who lived in the house ended up making a decision um, to follow Christ. It was amazing. It was like a revival. And I, I left IU and I moved to Rajasthan, India for a year. Rajasthan, India has a population of Christianity that's about 0.012 when I was there. So no Christians, and we were a part of a church plant to a certain caste of Hinduism that hadn't been reached. They didn't have any known Christians at the time. So we, we had this little hunkered down house church experience, and it was amazing. And it was in India that I started developing a lifestyle of worship and prayer. I had gone from, you know, I go to church or I go to my Bible study to where I actually would find time with God to get alone and worship privately like we're talking about. And... That honestly changed my life more that year than any other discipline. Um, I'm going to refer to Richard Foster some today. There's a book that he wrote called The Celebration of Disciplines that I love. He was a minister that when he got out of seminary, he felt like, man, I've got all this teaching from seminary. I can't wait to just change all these people's lives. And then he starts pastoring. And after about three months, he's like, I am totally out of material. There is no depth to my walk. And so he starts diving into the ancient disciplines of the faith, and worship is one of them. And I'll be referring to that a little bit. I love the celebration of disciplines. So if you want a good read and you're taking notes, I wouldn't take notes today. But if you are, you might want to write that book down. Celebration of Disciplines by Richard Foster. When I got back from India, I started this uh, ministry with my wife, Jillian, called 2-8 Ministries. It stands of uh, Psalms 2-8, Asking Me for the Nations. We took music and we used it as a tool in evangelism, and we moved into an RV. My, my wife's dad was a scientist at Eli Lilly, and when I asked if I could marry his daughter, he asked, well, how are you going to provide for Jillian? And I was like, good news. I just bought a 1996 Fleetwood Bounder RV, 34 feet long. She's in good hands. Um, she literally moved into an RV with me. Um, God help that woman. We lived on the road for four years and then eventually settled down to Plant Mercy Road, and uh, so 2 Wade has been an incredible journey. We've got the chance to lead worship in about 12 different countries, and I love seeing other countries and cultures worship Jesus. It's so different. We have our way of doing it here, but there's so many ways to do this. 
and the heart of it is what we're really talking about today. So uh, worship played a huge part of me becoming a Christian, first of all. Part of that God encounter that happened at that retreat was a result of worship. Worship has played a huge role in me finding my purpose and identity. I really haven't figured out how to connect the dots on that either. We'll talk about that some today, but some of what I'm sharing is going to be from my personal experience and from Scripture. And from my experience, I have found my identity and purpose from God more in worship than in other places. Um, And it continues to play a huge role in my life as I try to live on mission. So what is worship? Worship is always a God encounter. And I think we got a slide for that. Worship is a God encounter. So uh, my first Richard Foster quote here, it says, forms and rituals do not produce worship, nor does the disuse of forms and rituals. We can use all the right techniques and methods. You can have the best possible liturgy or lighting with haze and smoke. No, that's not there. But we have not worshiped the Lord until spirit touches spirit. I love that. We have not worshiped the Lord until spirit touches spirit. A God encounter. Jesus and John 4, I want to read this together. Jesus has a conversation with a Samaritan woman, and he talks to her about worship. And I love this. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation comes from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Why does Jesus say that? Why does he talk about, um, you know, this time is coming where it won't matter where you worship? You know, back in the Old Testament, we see that there's these places where the, where the prophets and the priests and kings had these God encounters, and they became holy places where you would want to go encounter God. Mount Zion would have been one of them. The tabernacle and the temple both held the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's spirit, you know, his presence. You know, you would want to have God encounters at these places. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 a time is coming and has now come where you won't have to, it won't even matter where you go. In the Old Testament, God encounters, they're, they're common, But I mean, you look at the life of Moses, there's tons of miracles, but it's not happening every day. You look at the life of Elijah and some of our best miracle workers from the Old Testament, they're not happening every day. When Jesus left this earth, the same spirit he put on the prophets, the same spirit that he was empowered by his entire ministry, he poured out into the heart of every believer. Miracles and and God encounters were not every day, everywhere, Um, circumstances in the Old Testament, but I would argue in the church age, they should be and they can be. It's actually available to us. To encounter God's spirit is available to us, and we're going to play with it today. It's going to be fun. We made sure there's a lot of worship on the back end so we can try to have a God encounter. Worship should always be a God encounter, and that should be your expectation. I would say always have a holy expectation like that, but have no agenda. Let's just seek the face of God and see what happens, because a lot of times what can come out of worship is different than what you might have hoped for when you come in, a God encounter. All right, worship is also telling the truth about God, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Love it. A.W. Tozer says this, the essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of him. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I pray and when I worship, 
I kinda, I, I want to make God a little more approachable, a little more relatable, a little more predictable, understandable. And the truth is, like, Jesus doesn't wear blue jeans. Like, there is a massive gap between us and God. And John Owens, who's going to be speaking next service, will talk some about that. And, and when we worship, you need to acknowledge that gap, the gap between his perfection and your imperfection, the gap between his holiness and sometimes our shame and our sin that we're living in and our weakness in contrast with his power. There's a huge gap, and we need to worship God in truth. All right. So far, so good? We all right? Good. Okay, good. Now, if you want to try to put God in a box, you can, but I promise it won't hold him. And um, anytime we worship a version of God that we create, we are not engaging in true worship. Jesus said we have to worship God in spirit and in truth. And one of the things I like about this last one we're talking about, worshiping God in spirit and in truth, the truth part is I call it right-sizing. Sometimes we need to right-size our worship experience. You know, there's a book called Worship Matters where the author says, uh, if you look at a star in the night sky, it's kind of, you know, it's not overwhelming at all. But the second you take out a telescope and you magnify a star to see what it really looks like, to get an idea of how big it really is, Sometimes we need to magnify God in our worship and right-size that gap between us and him. Yep. So we need to right-size. Now, here's the deal. I went to Germany to lead worship for a military retreat a couple years ago. And anybody ever heard the band Myla Rickshaw, the greatest cover band known to Indianapolis? Anybody? Like, yes, like seven people. That's the biggest following we've ever had right there. That's awesome. So I started my old rickshaw with Nathan Clapp, my best friends I grew up with, and he and I started playing folk instruments to like Rihanna. You know, we just were like, let's go play whatever he's playing with the wrong instruments. And we'd go out to bars and we'd also mix in some spiritual songs too in these Irish pubs. That's the only places that would book us because we had a fiddle were these Irish pubs. And eventually we got a bass player and drummer and they let us play better venues. But um, we would play every Friday, every Saturday, and sometimes on Thursdays. And I had just started working with Josh, and we're having church every Sunday morning. We're setting up a PA. So I would sometimes have Thursday show, Friday show, Saturday morning worship practice from Mercy Road, and then Saturday night show, sleep for three or four hours and go lead worship from Mercy Road, and I was done. I was in Germany, barely made my flight. I was so tired, and I'm laying there. I'm unable to sleep, and I just start reading Ephesians and just worshiping God and saying, I just don't feel close to you. I don't feel that, that kind of intimacy that we had last year. I'm not feeling it this year. I'm not feeling the encounter level that I want to walk in as a lifestyle. And, and I just was trying to find him as I was reflecting and meditating on Ephesians. And in that time of worship, I felt like God put on my heart, you're giving me your last fruit. You're giving me your last fruit. Now, I was tithing. I was tithing my first fruit financially, but I knew exactly what he meant. When you have a God encounter, nobody tells you why to act the way that you do. There's something about when you encounter God, to go back to point one that I missed, is there, there are times in worship when we encounter God that, that things are going to happen that, like I said, just maybe weren't on your agenda. So come without an agenda. One time we were in Arizona leading worship for a, a, a youth outreach. And people have asked Jillian and I, do you guys use worship for your outreaches? We're like, yes, we use secular music some, but mainly we use worship music. And people have asked us why. And the reason is because worship can lead to that God encounter. And when you encounter God, he can change a heart. But, you know, music on its own has no power. And so we're in Arizona, and we're leading worship for this youth um, outreach. Felt like any other concert, honestly. I mean, we were doing the same songs we always did. 
uh, we only knew seven songs at the time. We're doing those same seven songs. And, you know, and my wife has an incredible story of getting uh, delivered from a drug addiction and giving her life to Jesus and following him, I mean, just to the ends of the earth. I mean, it's a great story. She shares her story. We worship more. And this girl comes in up to the stage after um, the event was over, and she's crying, and she's got a mohawk about this high, and she has a shirt on that says Wicked. And she says, I came here tonight high on cocaine, and during the worship, I lost my buzz. So what she do? She goes to the girls' bathroom at the church and does another two lines of coke, and it didn't work. I come out, and I hear your wife's testimony, and I gave my life to Jesus. Worship. God encounter worship. We were in New Delhi one time on a return trip after I'd lived there, and we had a chance to lead worship for this group of Burmese refugees. It took took them like a week to escape Burma. It was like planes, trains, and automobiles to get them out of there. They might have required some swimming. I'm not even joking. They were trying to escape Burma because they were persecuting Christians so bad there. And these guys are in New Delhi, which is not really exactly a Christian area of the globe. They should have gone to the south of India if they wanted to be around Christians. And we're leading worship at a coffee house where all these Burmese refugees are there. And after the concert, a young man comes up to me, and between my horrible caveman Hindi and, and his, um, you know, English, I mean, we're somehow able to communicate, and he's sharing this story about how he had left a village where they were killing Christians. Like, his family was still there under threat, and he was worried, sick about them. And after the worship that night, he felt like God said to go back to Burma, to that village, to share the gospel. You know, John shared a line with me where we were talking about um, preaching this week, and he said, you know, when you get bit by the gospel, nobody makes you do what you do. Nobody does. When you encounter God. All right, worship is celebration. Do you guys have any idea how many festivals God requires of his people? I mean, he's like a party animal, and we, we have this picture of God being so angry and serious, and I mean, he loves it when we celebrate. So worship is a celebration. What are we celebrating? God provides for us. He protects for us. He fights for us. The gospel, an old kingdom has been overthrown. The new kingdom is ushered in. Your sins are forgiven. Our enemy's been defeated. We're free from condemnation. We have new life. God is faithful to us even when we're not faithful to him. He has created, he's created all this creation for your enjoyment and for your pleasure. There is so much to celebrate about God. He created life. He created joy. He created music. First Chronicles says this in uh, chapter 16, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Psalm 78, I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness. Oh my God, I will sing praises to you with the lyre. Oh, holy one of Israel, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. Psalm 149, let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with timbrel and harp. I love it. It's a celebration. And I don't even know what a timbrel is, but I'm sure it's pretty sweet. The next thing I want to say about worship is worship is warfare. And this is something that's pretty common when you go to a worship teaching, but I do think it's worth mentioning here that worship is warfare. I mean, the Battle of Jericho is one of my favorite pictures of worship in the entire Bible. You have this unbeatable scenario. This city is so fortified, the Israelites have no chance of winning this battle. They go to God, he gives them a plan, and this is what they do. They have this group of of military here, like the soldiers, and then they've just got this whole group of like priests with their shofars and their their trumpets and the Ark of the Covenant. And then you've got more soldiers. And they do about seven laps. And at the end, they shout 
a symbol of worship, and the walls fall down. My little brother just deployed to um, Afghanistan like this week. He just left to finish his training. And I don't think they're going to ask Josh and I to come over there anytime soon and help them with their next battle. Why would you bring priests in the battle? Why would you bring the Ark of the Covenant you have to keep safe? It is the most sacred thing they had, and they bring it into battle because they couldn't win it. It was a worship battle. What battles are you fighting right now? What hills are you trying to take in your life right now? Where have you accepted defeat in your life right now? And have you ever tried worshiping, worshiping instead of just, I I mean, prayer and worship, they're going to be kind of intertwined in this message, but really worshiping, declaring who God is, declaring his desires, declaring the kingdom of heaven right where you are. Last night, I got a text from one of my best friends, 15 people overdosed in my hometown, 15 people. There's an entire outpost, uh, the Mercy Fest outpost. It's an initiative Josh and I started. We want to take the gospel and we want to take, um, you know, production and things that, that make the gospel relevant to young people. We want to go all around the state with it. We want to go to the small towns that never get to hear bands like Aaron Pelsu and us. And we want to just go worship with them and, and bring in great speakers and share the hope of the gospel in some towns that really need it. And sometimes the churches don't play well together. So it's an excuse for churches to come together and the church to unite and to worship right where they are. And we've been praying for these towns. We've been praying for Portland, Indiana for like over a year. We've been praying for Union City, 15 overdoses last night. When I met with some of the city leaders uh, last month, they said, we are so far past rehab and recovery that we have to try to get a grant from the state for over $100,000 for prevention because children are growing up right now seeing this. They had a little kid tell one of them, yeah, my uncle's locked up in the closet again because he OD'd and he's been in there about two days to clean up. The kids know it. Prevention. That is a huge battle. We're going to bring worship to Portland in about four months, and we're going to declare the kingdom of heaven over my hometown. And I do not want my nephews and my nieces to be growing up in that. It's real, guys. It's warfare. In some of these battles, you need to right-size in worship before you're ready to come in with the confidence of God. Why do we worship? We just talked about what it is, but why do we worship? I mean, we come here every week, and, and like Maddie Mels has been dialing in the light system for at least a year, and we still got one that gets a little funky sometimes. We got Aaron and Emily Pelsu, those guys have like honed their musician skills to a T over a lifetime to lead worship for you and other Christians. We've got an AV team that works so hard to like handle all these slides and stuff for my rant. I mean, it's incredible. What's it for? Why are we here? Let's say you get in the car today and you're heading to White Castle, because I always go there after church, and your kids are like, what just happened, Dad? Why, are we, why do we do this every week? What's all the lights and stuff for? One word, formation. Formation. I want you to read this with me. 2 Corinthians 3.18. So all of us who have, been, who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. C.S. Lewis says this, we only learn to behave ourselves in the presence of God. Psalm 115 says this, their idols are merely things of silver and gold shaped by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak. They have eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear and noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel and feel but cannot walk and throats but cannot make a sound. And those who make idols are just like them as are all who trust in them. The reason there isn't more power in our worship experience is every single one of us have created idols. I've made them and you've made them. 
And if you want to challenge me on that, I want to just ask a few questions. Who or what provides for you, really? What brings you the greatest peace in your life? Who or what inspires you to think and act the way you do, dress the way you do? What are you really passionate about? Where did those passions come from? What do you fix your eyes on more than the living God who created you? I promise you will become like the God you worship. You will be formed into whatever you love the most. If it's beauty, you're going to do whatever you can do to be beautiful. If it's wealth, then you'll do whatever you need to do, dress however you need to dress, talk however you need to talk to acquire wealth. And if it's power, if it's control, if it's popularity, I promise you'll be formed into the God that you worship. Thing is, you can't form God into your image. He formed you. We all know that. But the thing is, he will form you into his image more and more every day if you let him. The weird thing about God encounters, I keep going back to God encounters because for me personally, that's my favorite way to explain worship. If you've really, really worshiped before, I don't really need to explain it to you because I have more questions than answers about what happens when we worship. It is the weirdest thing when the Spirit of God touches you. And if you've never experienced it, I'm going to encourage you today to just step deeper in as we worship, as you spend time in worship with God this week on your own, to take chances and don't stop until spirit touches spirit. Because weird things happen. One is you begin to find out who you are. (laughs) This has been my experience. And you begin to find out why you're here. When you worship your creator, the one who formed you, you begin to find those answers. Who am I? Why am I here? Peter finally tells the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about Jesus and puts an old theology on the line and just says, you're it. You are the son of God, the anointed one. What does Jesus do? Jesus tells Peter who he is. You're Simon Peter, a rock, a foundation, a steadfast man that I will build this movement on. Amazing. Paul gets knocked off a horse in a God encounter, asks God who he is. Jesus tells him who he is. He finds out who he is. You're my servant to the Gentiles. Abraham encounters God, and he finds out he's going to be the father of many nations. Moses encounters God in a burning bush, and he goes from being sheep herder to like the savior of Israel. My wife encounters God and goes from being a drug addict to a missionary. Who are you? How are you going to find out? Why are you here? Some things are only going to be answered by your father. So we've talked about the what, we've talked about the why. I think I'm even good on time. Yes, I'm great on time. We are now down to what we do on the DIY, and this is the how. How do we worship? Oh my goodness, there's so many things we could talk about, but I wanted to narrow it down to a few, and we're going to cruise through these. I'm going back to our original point, worship in secret. The key to powerful worship is worship in secret, number one. Now, this is something you're going to have to fight over. When I lived in India and I started developing this discipline in my life, I had to make time to get alone and have private worship. It is impossible to do anything private in India. There's like two million people crammed into the size of like Carmel, I feel like. I mean, you are just always shoulder to shoulder. Men hold hands, not because it's weird, but because you're right there. I might as well hold your hand. I mean, there is no personal space in India. And I came back to America, and I got, had to get used to driving on the right side of the road again. But I also was like, where'd everybody go? I felt so alone when I came back. It is impossible to get privacy in India. I had to look for a couple months, and I finally found this terrace that was at the top of the apartment that we lived on. And I would go up there, and I'd spend time with God. And I had this nice view of the city. I'd go up there at night sometimes. I'd go up there during the day. There's one problem. There's a lot of monkeys in India. 
And this particular terrace was home to a three-legged monkey. It was missing like one of the back ones. So it kind of, it freaked me out so many times. I'd be on a chair, like in the glory of the Lord. And this thing would bound over the side of the terrace. And I would swear like a fraternity room. And it was, but you know what? It was worth fighting for. And this monkey was like three foot five. I, I thought I was five foot five. I went to the doctor for the first time in forever. Some of you saw it on Facebook. I'm five foot four now. Worried that I won't be riding roller coasters in my 40s. So a three foot five monkey is terrifying. And it's it, three-legged at that. I mean, it just made it even weirder. So you're going to have to fight for this, guys. The things that are going to give you the most fruit in your life spiritually, you're going to have to take by force. You need to find this place and you need to plan it out. Maybe you need to plan out a retreat like I did when I was in college and I knew I needed to get away from my normal circumstances and get with God to encounter him. Worship with other Christians. It's so important. Now, there's a, there's a question that a lot of people, um, or, you know, or not a question, but I always hear from people, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That's true. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But let's read real quick in Hebrews. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Worship with other Christians, a collective faith experience, a collective vision experience, to find collective mission together. It's so important we come together. It's so important to come and encourage each other. And plan God encounters. Go to, a, go to a, a conference where you'll be able to get together with Christians from all over the country or the world and try worshiping with them and see what it does in your worship life. Ask the Holy Spirit to help. If worship is truly a spiritual discipline, guys, we have to ask the Holy Spirit to help. It's funny. I, I know people are always like, why do you always over-spiritualize things? Well, you can't over-spiritualize worship. The only way it happens is if spirit touches spirit. You gotta ask the Holy Spirit to help you with this. Use your words. Worship out loud. Read scriptures out loud. Sing, shout. I just had like a financial miracle. Jillian and I have been trying to raise funds to get a new PA for these small town things we're doing. And a big donation came in during a 40 and 40 campaign. And I was like, woo, yes. And like out of the middle of nowhere, it freaks Jillian out every time I do a shout of praise. But I I get excited. She thinks I have Tourette's, I think. But it... Do it. Make noise. And if this is stuff that you're like, oh man, I don't like to shout and sing and all, do it at home. Start privately and build up to corporate, but you got to do it. Use your words. Going back to asking the Holy Spirit for help. Sorry, Megan, ADHD alert. Um, I want to give you a sample of this. I think this is too abstract to just leave you with, but with the DIY, we want it to be as practical as we can. So right now, I just want us to take a minute and I'm going to give you an example of how you can ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Let's do it. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we know you're in this room. We desire to worship our Father today, and we ask that you would help us do that. Will you form our thoughts? Will you form our desires? Create in us a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within us. Cast us not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from us, but restore unto us the joy of your salvation and grant us a willing spirit, Jesus. We want to be willing. God, we desire you. Help us, Holy Spirit. Change our heart. Amen. And as the band comes up, I'm going to close with the last few. If you're willing to try these today, I got, I'm very, very excited for you. Use your body. The Bible commands us so many times to clap, to dance. I can't dance at all. It's really bad. But when I'm on my own, sometimes I do. I crank up worship music and I try to dance before God. Why? Because the Bible says to. If the Bible says to raise your hands, to clap, to dance, 
and you're like, nope, that's one area. I'm never going there. I'm American. We don't dance at church in this, you know. If your theology doesn't line up with the Bible, you might need to ask God if there's something you need to surrender about your theology. Finally, use your brain. Spend time meditating on Scripture. Try to imagine the glory of God. I'm not going to take time to do this right now, but um, there's, there's Scriptures like Revelation 7, pictures of the throne room that will blow your mind. Meditate on those. What is God like? Isaiah 6, maybe go outside when you meditate. Um, Jeff Foxworthy came to my hometown last year, and Jillian and I got to meet him after his show, and he was talking about how he hates his new neighborhood because he has to use a pooper scooper. And he's like, why do I have to clean up poop in my yard? A kid hasn't played outside since 1989. We have to go outside sometimes and be inspired by creation. Look at trees, look at flowers, whatever it is. My, my best times meditating on God have been in nature on a Harley ride with my dad each year for three days. Come as you are is the final point, number seven. And this is where uh, we're gonna take time to actually respond right now and come to God in worship. So if you will, I'm gonna ask you to stand with me and I'm gonna let them down the lights and everything. But let's come to our Father just as we are today. God, we love you and we desire you. And we desire for worship to change every fiber of our being as we touch your spirit. We pray for God encounters to be daily this year. And God, we're willing to fight for whatever time and whatever space in our lives we need to do to make that happen. And God, right now we confess that we have made other idols in our lives things that we have fixed our eyes on so much more than you, that we have found our hope is coming from so much more than you. And it's, it's not right, and we confess it today. We repent. We ask that you tear down those idols in our lives, God, that you become greater, that you right-size you in our lives. Teach us how to worship. Open our minds, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears. Jesus, I pray that you meet with us in this space today, that you're enthroned upon our praises. God, your victory over our sin and shame, we celebrate it today. You remember our sins no more. They're as far as the east is from the west. We acknowledge there's a gap that's huge between us, but you're so powerful and perfect and full of love that you beckon us to come and to commune with you. And we're gonna take communion today in that symbol of what it took to restore that communion of our spirits again. We love you so much, Jesus. And I pray for anyone here today who wants to, for the first time, follow you into his discipleship, Jesus. I want to lay down the gods that they've been serving and follow the the living God who created them. If if that's you today, this is the best Sunday ever to give your life to Jesus because we're gonna give you something to do with that newfound faith. So this morning, if you wanna give your life to Jesus for the first time, I wanna ask you to just raise your hand. Raise your hand, sign a surrender. And surrender over the things that have held your gaze in the past and fix your eyes on God. Yep, I see you. Raise your hand if you would like to, for the first time, follow Jesus. All right. God, I thank you. I thank you for these lives, Lord, that want to start their journey today. I just want you to pray this after me. Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. That you died on the cross to pay a debt for my sin that had separated me from my Father. And that because of your sacrifice, my faith in you. My sin is no more. I'm a new creation because of you. On the third day, you rose from the grave proving that you have victory over death. And I believe that. 
and that resurrection life that you promised, I ask you to give me that life. Holy Spirit, fill me. Lead me into new life and form me into the image of Jesus. Amen.